is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey guys, it's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Ellie, and it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. We've got a jam-packed show for you today, packed full of music, music scoring, songwriting, and books. Yes, Rachel, so you guys need to put on your creative hat and let's get started. Here we go. The Mulberry Lane Show's on, celebrity story songs, you're gonna have it going on, when we tell you who's stopping by now. Up first, Michael Lehman. Now his name may not be familiar, but he was a good friend and longtime manager of the late great musical legend, Greg Allman. Walk back home, you'll always run, sweet Melissa. Now, you heard our interview with Greg Allman earlier this year, and in that interview, he talked about his upcoming album, Southern Blood. And as you know, Greg passed away earlier this year, and so Michael Lehman, his manager, is here to talk about the album, which is just released. He'll share with you nuggets about the stories behind the songs and why Greg picked out the songs, knowing that this would most likely be his final studio album. This was really a love letter from Greg to his fans. You'll be riveted by some of the beautiful stories and the artwork involved in this project. All right, Allie, who else? Well, after Michael, you'll hear from music composer and scoring genius, Sid Hartha Kosla. Now you're gonna know Sid's work from the NBC hit drama, This Is Us. This Emmy-winning and Golden Globe-nominated show puts Sid in the driver's seat of all the music associated with the show and recently released is the soundtrack from the show, which you can download. It's out now. It's called This Is Us, Music from the Series. And you're going to get a pretty good glimpse into the behind the scenes of the music choices for the series and a little bit about the filming of the series itself. Sid has a pretty interesting story, so you're going to get a bit of that too. We love the show, This Is Us, and we're sure that you probably do too. Yeah, pretty awesome stuff. Okay, sisters, who's next? Then it's singer-songwriter and guitarist Charles Parker. Well, Charles is from Baltimore, and his debut album and single, Bring Back the Sun, is out. Bring back the sun, bring back the stars, no matter where you are, bring back the sea, now, Charles is a triple threat, and his unique music is a place where rock, folk, and pop cross paths on a road that will really make you feel his music. Yes, and they're crossing paths today on Mulberry Lane. <laughs> True. <laughs> He's got an interesting background of a lot of cover bands and tribute bands that has all led to this journey of where he is today. Yes, it's interesting how when you play other people's music, sometimes it eventually leads to your own unique sound. So that's on tap a little later in the show. Who's next, sisters? Then it's author Caitlin M. Kiernan. Caitlin is a beauty expert and beauty journalist who was diagnosed with breast cancer. Because of her access to so many Hollywood stars and their stylists, she was able to put together this guide to guide women through the changes they'll go through and how to stay most like themselves throughout the process. The name of the book is Pretty Sick, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer. And what she says, when you look good, you feel better. You'll appreciate her honesty 
and the depth of her research. Yes, Rachel, and Caitlin was one of the few people we've had on the show who actually sings back to us. Yes, stay tuned for that. <laughs> She's great. All right, well, Allie, you and your family, you've been taking some Mandarin lessons, so you got to share what you've learned. Yes, Rachel. So as you guys know, in January of 2016, we adopted our daughter, Clover, who is now four, from China. And for a while, I was looking for a Mandarin teacher here in Omaha so that she can stay in touch with her culture and hopefully grow up bilingual, or at the very least, retaining at least a little bit of her Mandarin. Sure. And so we found an awesome teacher, and my son, Luke, Clover, and myself are all taking together so that we can converse a little bit around the house. That's awesome. And it's been really fun and a great new bond between the three of us. And what I did find out was kind of interesting. In Mandarin, they have certain words that they use for naming older sister and younger sister and these words are used like throughout your life so I'm the youngest sister in our family and so I'm called May May so Clover is also the younger sister in our family Luke's younger sister so she's also called May May so Clover and I now go around and when she sees me instead of saying mom sometimes she says hi May May and I say hi May May so we have the same name so it's kind of another little bonding experience yes since Bo and I are the older sisters here. What are we called? Okay, well, this is a little bit trickier because it's one of those sounds that's a little bit harder to make in the English language. Okay. So I'm going to attempt it, but this is the word for older sister. Jiji. Jiji. That's right. Okay. So you're Jiji and I'm Mei Mei. Okay, so the Jijis and the Mei Mei will be right back (laughs) with Michael Lehman, longtime friend and manager of the late, great musical legend Greg Allman, who in any language is a musical genius. That's right. Keep it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. celebrities, and everything in between. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Well, the world lost a music pioneer and legend when Greg Allman passed away earlier this year, but he left us with one final goodbye. Southern Blood is Greg's last studio album, which you heard Greg talk about on the show before he passed. Now, Greg's longtime manager, Michael Lehman, is here to give you a behind-the-scenes look at Greg Allman's final album, Southern Blood. Welcome, welcome to the show, Michael Lehman. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Great yeah, to now you. this album really is a reflection of Greg Allman's life with hand-picked songs. So how were the songs chosen for the album? We listened to probably 300 tracks. Greg picked um, a variety of songs based on songwriters that he loved, artists that covered tracks, or songs that would tell the story of his life that had particular meaning. For instance, Willen, Greg actually loved both George and Little Feet, but also had played Willen live over the years. Okay. Song for Adam featuring Jackson Brown, Greg and Jackson went way, way back. You know, Dylan, Greg was a fan of 
Dylan's music. Once I was, Greg was a huge Tim Buckley fan. The actual selection came down to Greg wanting to tell his life's journey, just as late back in 1973-74, his first solo album started that journey. He knew Southern Blood was going to be his last studio record, and he wanted everyone and everyone that loved him and the fans that he loved to be able to share with them his life story and what he went through over the years. So that really was his capstone. This was the message he wanted to leave. Most definitely. Greg had been diagnosed with a reoccurrence of liver cancer back in 2012, shortly after the Low Country Blues record had come out and he had toured behind it and had been given a prognosis of 12 to 18 months. So we weren't sure if he was ever going to get back into the studio or not. And then over the years, we started joking that Greg was the man of 99 lives, not, you know, a cat with nine lives. And 2014, everything came together when we met with Don Was and decided that we were going to move forward with Don. Greg had already decided that his final record was going to be cut at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, and it was just a matter of then song selection. So 2014-15, we spent time picking the songs and listening to, again, hundreds of songs, trying to figure out and narrow down which way we were going to go. March of 16, he went into the studio with really only three people knowing of his medical condition. Shank Middleton, his best friend, Shannon, his fiance that became his wife, and myself. A lot of people knew that obviously he wasn't feeling great because we were starting to postpone and cancel some dates, but no one knew the seriousness of his health. So now looking back on it in, in a way is so bittersweet because when you listen to these songs, knowing that he's no longer with us and knowing you know the the struggles that he must have been going through and the fact that he was able to create this masterpiece is just so you know so amazing so amazing now projects have their own feels so how would you describe the feel of this project i would say um magnificent is probably the the word that comes to mind being in fame studios that hallowed studio where so many great songs and albums were recorded and Dwayne had recorded there as well and Dwayne had recorded there so he was in those walls as well uh-huh. and, and Greg and Dwayne had recorded you know some of their demo tapes for their hourglass an early band that they had being in fame studios and then being there with Greg at a time where his voice was so rich and beautiful and being with his solo band that he had pruned over so many years to what you know he, he called his best iteration of bands ever it all came together in a beautiful way and in two weeks this record was recorded we we heard rough mixes right afterwards and we knew something was there but we didn't we really didn't know what and then put it aside for many months because greg's health deteriorated rapidly and and he didn't want to hear it and finally in march of 17 don was and i met in la in the Capitol records building and put the record up on the tracks and i shared with don for the first time how gravely ill Greg was and we listened to the tracks and we both wept knowing that there was a masterpiece there that just needed to be cleaned up a little bit. Wow. Wow. Michael Lehman, longtime friend and manager of late legendary musical icon Greg Allman here with you on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now Don was of course is the Grammy winning producing legend. Now he was at the helm. So what was it like watching those two work together? 
you know, Don had a way of pulling the tracks out of Greg. And Greg was a master, so Don is very laid back. He's not hands-on. He did his thing. Uh, you know, I really got to see some of his work in the studio, which was more interesting, the way that he puts the final record together and the final polishing touches on. But, you know, they had a very easy, gentle time together. And, and Greg was a master, so when Greg was on, he would go in and do his work. He'd spend about five hours a day in that studio and wow. then go back to the hotel and rest up for the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, his voice just sounds amazing on these tracks. It really does. I mean, it's, it's rich and full and, you know, it has that I guess that aged sound yes. to it as well, which was his real voice. Uh -huh. Yeah, fits the songs. The album title, Southern Blood. Talk about the story of how the title came to be and the unique artist that was brought onto the project. So Greg's youngest daughter, Layla, had been introduced to a painter named Vincent Castilla who painted in blood. And she introduced Greg to this painter, and Greg purchased one of his paintings. And at the same time, Greg said, oh, you know what, I think I'd like a portrait of myself painted in blood. And so he went to a lab, uh, got a few vials of blood that he shipped off to Layla to give to the painter. The artwork concept changed, and, and he wanted to continue more in the low country blues vein with Southern architecture and landscape, which is what the cover of the album is. But after he died, the kids said, we should use uh, the blood that my dad had and to have a litho painted, an iconic picture. And, and Elijah actually came up with the 1973 Neil Preston photo. That's a timeless image that was used. There wasn't mm -hmm. enough blood, so the kids contributed to their own blood. Wow. And that's how we have that painting. Layla then said, you know, Dad, in giving your blood like this, it's no different than you're giving your soul, your southern yes. blood, to create this record. So let's call the record Southern, southern blood. blood. And that's honestly that's yep, how it came to All being. Together. Now, before we let you go, Greg lives such a rock and roll life, you know, full of simultaneous musical genius and, and triumphing over tragedy. So this final album, what do you think his final message is, if you could sum that up? loved life. He shared his life with his fans and in these ten songs that are on the record and then the two lives on the bonus he gives of his heart and soul and shares his life's journey with the public. You know people never saw this private side of him and I think it's all revealed on this final studio record who he was, what type of a man he was what type of emotions he felt on a regular basis. He pulled back the curtain. He really did. Well said. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining the show. Love hearing about the album, and it's called Southern Blood. Thank you, Rachel and Allie. That was Michael Lehman, a longtime friend and manager of the late, great Greg Allman. You can download Greg Allman's last and final album, Southern Blood, out now. When we come back, it's Siddhartha Kosla. He's a music composer, and he scores the NBC hit drama, This Is Us. So keep hanging out with us here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Here's Greg Allman. You and I both know this river will surely flow to an end. Keep me in your heart. Keep your soul. Of my soul when I'm 
this life alone I can't bear to think this might be the end But you and I both know the road is my only true Stories behind the songs. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, This Is Us has become TV's biggest breakout hit of the year. The NBC hit show just won two Emmys along with Critics' Choice Awards, People's Choice Awards, Image Awards, African American Film Choice Awards. You get the picture. Well, if you need to see what the fuss is all about, the complete first season is out on DVD, and the companion music from the series This Is Us is also available. So if you ever wonder how these soundtracks are put together, Siddhartha Kosla, film, TV composer, and singer-songwriter who makes the music choices for the series is here right now to give you a behind the scenes on the series and its music. Welcome, welcome to the show, Siddhartha. <laughs> I love that introduction. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Great to have you. Okay, so now first off, you are a singer-songwriter with your own band. How did you come to this series and how it all took shape? Well, um, I started my career as a singer-songwriter of the band Gold Spot, so we put out some albums and toured, and at the same time while I was doing that, one of my really good friends from college, Dan Fogelman, was out in Hollywood making movies and TV shows, and he started his career as a screenwriter, and I started mine as a songwriter, and we went on these divergent paths in our careers, and one day, a few years ago, Dan called me and said, hey, will you come in and work on my TV show? Um, wow. We're looking for a composer, and I had just come back from, I think, a tour, and um, I, I said, sure. And I, I'd never done it before, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll score. And, uh, and I scored his television show, and it was a comedy. I loved it so much, and I started writing music for film and television. Okay. And my songs in Goldspot had also appeared already in film and television. They were in all these TV shows, like okay. How I Met Your Mother and, and The O.C. and all sorts of different shows. So we kind of had a little bit of an introduction into it. And then now it's just kind of been what I do now. I love scoring for film and television and writing original songs and music. And then last year, This Is Us, Dan called me again and he said, hey, I've got this script wow. for This Is Us. Um, it's a new show that I'm writing. They just started filming it. And he's like, will you read this script and tell me what you think and see if it inspires something? Mm -hmm. And um, I made a sound for the show okay. from that script. Wow. I, I, I read the script and I was like, I need to pick up my acoustic guitar right now because okay. I'm feeling that. And uh -huh. these emotions came to me that were the emotions of like a Joni Mitchell or, or the Beatles or um, Nick Drake. And, and these artists kind of popped into my head reading the script. And I started playing music that evoked that 60s, 70s kind of sound. And that's how the past of the, of the score, at least, was created. So is that how you have written in the past, up until this point where a feeling overtakes you and you kind of write that feeling? Or was this kind of a new thing? No, that's kind of, you know, I, if creators of shows, uh, generally in my relationship with them, they like that I can come up with a palette, you know, just by reading mm -hmm. a script sometimes. And I think it's also with Dan Fogelman, who created This Is Us, I know him for so long. You know, we went to college together. And right. so he and I have a very deep, friendship outside of this show um he's one of my closest friends and so i think like 
that's another thing. I have like a window into his soul on some level. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I, we connect artistically, too, on the show, which is so much fun. And so getting to know my good buddy, basically, and these stories on This Is Us are these beautiful stories. They're yes. heartbreaking. They're about mm-hmm. love and life and loss, and they're about everyday people and the challenges that life itself brings to us. And some of that is based on his own life's experiences, and I've seen him go through some really difficult times as well, and some good times as well. Mm-hmm. So for this show, it's different because I know where it's coming from. I know where these characters are coming from, and so I am inspired by that. So I write so, music for my friend as much as I write music uh-huh. for the show. Which probably gives it more of an intimate level, too, I would think. Yeah, I think I'm able to tap into something emotional. Yeah. You know, it's and it makes it more raw and visceral and real, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it is entirely real, you know. I mean, I, I will watch scenes from the show before there's any music on it. Okay. Um, Are you in the actual writer's room, or do you get the completed scenes? Um, you know, I've been in the writer's room, like, once, and that was actually to talk to them about this upcoming season a little bit, because the writers do all their research, and they want to, like, know everything about different people's lives, and they like real-life stories to enter into some of these okay. scripts. But... On this show, mostly I get scripts of the episodes, and I also get footage from the shows as they're filming. Like, I get an editor's cuts, and I get director's cuts. The director goes in and sends me something. So I get to see the show without any music, and then I get to put the music on it. Well, right now you're listening to The Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with Sid Hartha Kosla. He's the composer of the music for the NBC drama This Is Us, and the This Is Us soundtrack is out now. Does any actor on the show really connect with you where you key into one character or person to give you the feel for it? Or is it more of a collective thing? It's collective. It's about the connective tissue between all of these people. And so I kind of need every single one of those actors in this because they all are a little piece of this puzzle. Are you actually on set when they record or not? I have been on set, yes. So on the Memphis episode last year, I had to write a song called We Can Always Come Back to This for this episode, and it's this soul type of song that was performed live on set. And it, it became it, a, it an iTunes Billboard hit as well. Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. I, I still can't believe it, but yes, it did. <laughs> and so I had to go on set there and watch okay. the recording of it and make sure that you know the band was performing the song and just kind of sit with the directors and make sure that the song was being performed in the right way and it was accurate and so yeah so I get to go on set once in a while when I have time though normally I'm holed up in my recording studio and then one final question you know after you've chosen the music for the episode do you watch the charts the next day to see what connected no, I mean, and, and, you know, I can't take full credit for this because, you know, this is the team effort. You know, I write all the original music for the show, so all okay. the original score, the original songs, any of my band songs, Gold Spot stuff, that's me. But then there's a music supervisor named Jen Pikin, who is actually the one, um, along with Dan Fogelman and our directors and producers, that finds the classic songs that you hear. So I can't take credit for that. They are really responsible for that. So it's a team effort on that. But... Well, when we can always come back to this was on the show, yeah. and they said, well, we're going to be releasing this on iTunes the next day. Of course, I kind of was like, hmm, let's just see. <laughs> let's see what it does. <laughs> what a happy day, see. though. 
you know, I've got like two big television screens in my studio. I've got room to kind of pop up the iTunes charts on the right. So, yeah, I would sneak it in and check it out, and it was really exciting because it was like the song all of a sudden was like, it got to like number 12, and it was like the number one blues song in the country for like four weeks straight. It was like, you couldn't believe it. That's so awesome. And where can people follow your work? Um, I'm at Sid Kosla Music on Twitter, S-I-D-D, Sid Kosla Music, and my band is called Gold Spot. Check out, you know, my stuff online, YouTube and Facebook and wherever else, Twitter and Instagram. But if you want to find out all things This Is Us, but all my score and music stuff, it's at Sid Kosla Music. Okay, and I wish we had more time because you have a very interesting personal story, too, but you'll have to come back and share more with us. I would absolutely love to. And then thanks for singing me on. That was like a musician's dream. <laughs> That was great. Thanks, Sid. Take care. All right. Take care. That was Sid Hartha Kosla, music composer for the NBC series This Is Us, and he also scores the series. We're going to take you to break with his original song, We Can Always Come Back to This. When we come back, it's singer-songwriter Charles Parker. Keep it here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. No matter where we go from here, the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, Charles Parker has been around the block in the music biz, so it's about time for his solo debut, Bring Back the Sun. Now, this is a perfect blend of rock, folk, and pop, and Charles joins your weekend right now to fill you in on the winding road to his solo debut. Welcome, welcome to the show, Charles Parker. That's the best intro I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Great to have you with us. Glad to be here. All right. So now you've been a songwriter and a musician for 20 years. Why is now the time for the solo debut? Well, I've been playing for quite a while in cover bands and writing songs during that period of time. I just kind of recorded over the years, and now, you know, everything kind of came together. and It was time to put it all together and put it out okay. and release. Like you said, you've played in lots of cover bands. So playing in all the cover bands and, you know, playing other people's music, how has that kind of informed your songwriting and even your selection of material and how you record? Well, I think that learning all those different styles over time, it kind of helps you learn how to write a song to the right formula. Right. So now, you know, when you play a lot of different styles and genres, does that ever confuse you as to who Charles Parker is, too? Because you kind of have to find yourself within all of that. You know, I never really sat down and tried to copy anyone. It 
just kind of came out. I sat down okay. with the guitar and started playing and singing and coming up with verses and choruses, and it just came out as that sound. So it marinated in you and came out as you. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way. So talk about what inspired the songs and bring back the sun. Oh, well, just a lot of different inspiration. The actual title song, Bring Back the Sun, was about a, a little girl, the daughter of an old girlfriend. And when that ended, you know, the child went away also. So it was, you know, mm. it was sort of um, bring back the sun. If you could, you know, only bring back the sun and everything would be good again. Uh-huh. You know, that's a really interesting take on a song, because not too many relationship songs deal with what also goes away with the relationship. Oh, exactly. Uh Now, it said that you were a shy kid. So was that hard for you to learn how to, you know, perform and be on stage? And for all of our shy people listening, how did you go from being a shy kid to being front and center? Well, it's just something that you, you have to do if you want to do this. I started out, you know, just playing at home, and the first band that I played out with, I was a keyboard player. You know, I was in the back. Right. You know, I wasn't really front and center. But as time went on, I realized, you know, if I really want to do this, then I just have to do it. And sometimes you just can't worry about shyness or the people, or, you know, you just go out and do what you have to do. And, and now I'll play in front of a thousand people. In, in events, and it just doesn't matter. It doesn't it, matter. It, it so doesn't. does the shyness ever crop up now in any situation? Not usually. You know, it's, it just seems easy. Once you do it so many shows over so many years, it just becomes natural, and that's where you belong. Yep, and you find that spot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right now you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with singer, songwriter, and musician Charles Parker. He's talking about his new release, Bring Back the Sun. So out of all the hats that you've worn, is being the artist your favorite? I think so. I've done a lot of different cover bands, a lot of tribute bands, Uh and it's been a wonderful day job. But I think that putting your own music out and have people singing your songs is a whole lot better than... Uh, More than fulfilling. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Okay, so then of the different cover bands and tribute bands you've done, who do you feel like you do the best? Well, I actually do a Kiss tribute band. Okay. So I play Paul Stanley in, in the Kiss tribute band, and that's pretty good because I think that the influences in my songs are a cross between early pop music, say, you know, Partridge Family on TV okay. when I was a kid, with a cross with Kiss, you know, sort of like a David Cassidy, Paul Stanley kind of... Uh, crossover um, yeah and doing paul stanley probably helped you get over your shyness too i would assume <laughs> well you know what when you have makeup and a costume on and yeah. a wig you're not you right so i can go out there and if you guys are familiar with his antics mm-hmm. of screaming to the crowd you know people let me hear you scream and if i did that without the costume and makeup they would look at me like i was crazy <laughs> but you know being in the tribute band you can pretty much do anything so <laughs> a cure for shyness we've discovered it right here exactly paul Stanley. <laughs> so then, do you ever have moments in your own Charles Parker shows where you feel like the Paul Stanley is coming out a little bit? When the crowd's into it and they're responding well to you, you can do that. We do a lot of big events in the summertime where there are thousands of people, and you know, I'll have people sing back to us, or you know, everybody stand up, wave your hands in the air, something like that. And that's sort of the same thing. That's right. what he would have done in Kiss. So I think that it kind of comes out there. Yeah. That's awesome. The song, Bring Back the Sun, the melody came to you in the middle of the night. How often does that happen to you, that the melody or partial words of a song come to you in a dream, and then you wake up and you have to write it down? And you actually get up and write it down. (laughs) 
Well, that's the difference, whether I get up or not. Right. And, and this time I did get up, and it was a good thing that I did. I did get up and write it down and finish the song the next day. It happens from time to time, but a lot of times I just go back to sleep. Right. <laughs> and you think, oh, I'll totally good. remember this in the morning. And then you don't. Right. Oh, you definitely don't. You have no idea. I've done things lately where I you know, grab my phone. Right. So I'll just sing into it and then go back to it at a later date. Uh-huh. I've done that, too, where I'll wake up with an idea, and sometimes I listen to it in the morning, and I'm like, what was I thinking? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know what you're saying. All right. Well, Charles, it's really fun catching up with you, and best of luck with the single and the album, and we'll have to catch up with you down the road. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. All right. Thanks, Charles. Take care. Charles Parker is the artist. Bring Back the Sun is the name of the album and the single. We'll be right back with author Caitlin Kiernan. She's a beauty expert who has a new book for women with cancer. Keep it right here with your radio sisters. Here's Charles Parker. Bring back the sun. Bring back the stars. Got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Caitlin M. Kiernan is the former beauty director for Life and Style Weekly magazine. Covering beauty for the magazine, she learned the tricks for putting herself together from the top Hollywood stars in their stylists. Well, the beauty game changed for Caitlin when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Suddenly, she was not only fighting cancer, but being a fashionista, she began a fight to look and feel her best throughout treatment. She shares her journey, tips, and advice from her expert friends in the book, Pretty Sick, How to Look Your Best When You Feel Your Worst. It's a must-have reference for any woman dealing with cancer. Welcome, welcome to the show, Caitlin Kiernan. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> that is awesome. We're so glad to have you with us. And oh my gosh, I read the book and what a resource. You make no bones about wanting to stay pretty throughout the cancer treatments and reconstruction and how it's okay to care about how you look. For me, it was about sort of resembling myself. With cancer treatment, it affects pretty much all your identifiers, your skin, your hair, your nails. You're not only dealing with a health crisis, you're dealing with your identity changing. So for me, it was about just maintaining that my sense sense of of normalcy. Right. Totally. And that's huge. I mean, on the days that I kind of felt like I looked decent, I could power through the day because really for me, there was nothing harder than people asking me, you know, are you okay? Is everything all right? When you look sick, you end up feeling bummed out because people are asking you if you are sick. So when you look good, you feel better because you're able to sort of, you know, feel a little bit more And you're not distracted by people's questions and comments. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Now, you talk about how when you were diagnosed, you researched a lot about, you know, Mm -hmm. what changes you would go through, but nothing could prepare you for that. So you turned your research and your friends and who you have access to into a resource for all women. So at what point did you realize that you had this book? I think probably like halfway through my treatment when I was able to kind of keep my skin in check 
battle, my mouth sores, my nails were starting to like lift and peel. And, and when I turned to all the various experts in my Rolodex and each one kind of was giving me interesting tips that I hadn't heard before, couldn't find online, I felt so blessed to have the resources that I had. And I was like, I need to pay this forward for all of the women that are coming after me. And I know the karmic gods were looking at me, and I'm like, I am going to share this intel because it's so important for just empowering women to feel good about themselves during probably what is going to be one of the worst times of their lives. Talk about who some of these resources are. Very early on, Ted Gibson, who is a celebrity hairstylist, to Lapita and Angelina and Deborah Messing, and you name the A-lister, he works on them. He was the first person to just say to me, you know, get ahead of it, cut your hair in stages, and then we're going to, like, buzz it off. And before we do any of that, we're going to go wig shopping. We're going to find you a wig that resembles you. We're going to just do this. And he really took control of that. I turned to Sonia Kashik, also a, a breast cancer survivor okay. and also the creator of her Target line. She helped me with my makeup. I turned to Dr. Doris Day and Dr. Heidi Waldorf, two of the top dermatologists, I think, in the U.S. They're amazing women. Uh, Heidi is also a breast cancer survivor. They were both able to kind of guide me with products that I wanted to use. Dr. Brian Cantor, who is the dentist to Penelope Cruz and 50 Cent and all of the New York Knicks, (laughs) helped me get ahead of all of my dental issues, which honestly are so painful. And, you know, Dr. Stryker, who is a uh, leading gynecologist, to really help me navigate sort of life after because it put me into chemopause, all my medicines. Uh-huh. And so I was dealing with menopause at the tail end of everything. So, you know, these resources, else, yeah. yeah, while they're not cancer-focused experts, they all know how to deal with these things because they've had patients and clients that are dealing with them and they have the expertise. For example, Dr. Cantor, when I called him, I said, you know, I'm getting these really bad mouth sores and I can't eat. They're concerned about if I don't eat, they're going to have to stop treatment. Wow. So he said, okay, I have the perfect thing for you. And he gave me this mouthwash called Periosciences. The thing is, is that it has an off-label benefit, which is that it helps heal mouth sores. And within two weeks, my mouth sores were gone. But Here's the thing. It's not formulated for that, but that's a trick that it it works. how would you know that? Because they can't advertise that it does that. Correct. And there are so many products like that that the companies themselves can't say that because they're not FDA approved. It's not compliance, but it creates such an amazing difference in your quality of life when you're going through cancer. So why not spread that message? So they can't do it, but I can. can. And I'm here to do it. You're listening to former beauty director and author Caitlin Kiernan here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You also had some famous friends who helped you through that had dealt with breast cancer, Sandra Lee, Hoda, and Joan London. So what did these women teach you? I mean, I can't tell you how much amazing stuff that I learned from these women. I mean, Hoda is just a constant source of positive energy. Joan would talk to me about even the most private feminine things. You know, Sandra Lee is such a girly girl. I love her. She has great product suggestions and fashion suggestions. And they're just all women that really are so selfless. You know, they have a personal persona, but they are real women. They really want to help their fellow survivors. 
Now, during your breast reconstruction, you ended up researching tattoo artists. You did a video Mm -hmm. about 3D realistic nipple tattoos. If you haven't been through the process, you don't even know that's an option or even how everything comes back together. So talk a little bit about... Yeah, totally. I mean, first of all, it's like tattoos. If you're not a tattoo fan or you're not a tattoo person, then you're like, tattoos on my boobs? Are you kidding me? I started doing research on nipple tattoos, and everything that I was kind of seeing out there just looked like one-dimensional. And I'm like... And they're done by the doctors that did the reconstruction, who aren't tattoo artists. Correct. So that is part of the problem. And I listen, I love my plastic surgeon, Dr. Keegan. He's amazing. But... He's not a tattoo artist. He did not learn how to mix pigments. Many times it's not even the doctor doing it. It's one of his assistants, his nursing assistants. So I was like, yeah, no. I know this much about tattoos. They're permanent. And I was researching, researching, and researching, and I came across a survivor's blog. And I would never have known that they were tattoos until I read the caption. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the guy. And I immediately called him, and I was put on a five- or six-month waiting list. When the time came up that I was going to drive down to Maryland to visit him, I wrote the story for the New York Times, and it it went viral. Within two weeks, it had more than 10 million hits, and it's still one of the most... Yeah, how it resonated with so many people, because that information wasn't out there. It was really hard for me to track him down. It's really important to go to someone that has that skill and knowledge, and yeah, that skill set. Yeah. Caitlin, well, we want to thank you so much for joining the show. The book is pretty... Thank you, Rachel and Allie, for having (laughs) The name of the book is Pretty Sick How to Look Your Best When You Feel Your Worst. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks so much. That's Caitlin M. Kiernan, beauty journalist and author, sharing with you some tips in her book, Pretty Sick, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer. Thanks, Caitlin, for writing such a much-needed book and for singing back to us. You rock, Caitlin. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, Allie, who else do we need to thank? Well, big hugs to film and TV composer Sid Hartha Kosala. Sid, thanks for sharing with us your process of scoring NBC's hit Golden Globe and Emmy-winning drama series, This Is Us. We love the show and we love the music. Right now you guys can download the This Is Us music from this series on iTunes or anywhere else. Thanks, Sid. Okay, who else, Rachel? Shout out to Michael Lehman. Michael was good friend and manager of the late, great musical legend, Greg Allman. Michael told you all about Greg's final studio album, Southern Blood. You heard some behind-the-scenes stories, some beautiful moments in the making of that album. And Michael, thank you for painting such a beautiful picture of Greg in his final days and sharing with us his musical genius. Who else, sisters? Well, gotta thank Charles Parker for joining our show. You heard all about Charles' debut album, Bring Back the Sun. Great stuff here. Charles, thanks for sharing your creative process and check out his stuff at charlesparkermusic.com. Oh yeah. Well guys, we want to thank you for being right there while we were right here. We love putting this show on for you guys and next weekend, we promise more music, arts, and lifestyle. Just for you. Bo. Stay happy and stay blessed. Allie. Don't forget to be awesome. Rachel. That's a wrap. I may take a breath.